You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, September the 12th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at lessons for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, this coming September the 18th. They are from Amos chapter 8, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus says to his disciples, There there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, One by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So how are we going to understand this particular story told by Jesus? Now, a lot of individuals consider this to be a parable about the kingdom of God. But then, who is the rich man? Who is the manager? And who are these people that are the debtors? Well, some people would say that, well, the rich man is none other than God the Father. And the manager is Jesus Christ. And charges are brought against Jesus, particularly by the Pharisees, that he is wasting the possessions of God the Father. So he says, you can no longer be my manager. But the manager thinks to himself, what can I do so that people may receive me into their houses? so that I will be taken care of. 
because I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So according to those who regard this as a parable about the kingdom of God on earth, Jesus goes and he pays the debt that we owe God the Father by dying on the cross. Now, how do we deal with such an interpretation? You see, a pastor is not only to help you understand a passage by telling you what the original Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic mean, but he also is to explain to you what the translations mean. Is this really about Jesus? One of the reasons I don't believe it is, is because in this case, the manager only makes sure that a portion of what is owed is paid. So he goes to the one who says, well, I owe him a hundred measures of oil. Well, sit down quickly and write 50. See, the manager has not yet been fired because he is still manager. And while he is still manager, he has authority to collect money and say that the bill is paid off. Well, what does that mean in the church? Does it mean that our offerings that go through Jesus to the Father, even though they're very little and only part of our debt, that they pay off the whole debt? No. I I think Jesus himself makes the point when he says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Now, throughout the Bible, like in books of Proverbs by Solomon, the distinction about people in the world is always between the unbelievers and the believers. And this is what Jesus is saying when he says the sons of this world. The word world is referring to the kingdom of the devil. And they are often more shrewd and wise. Remember, after the manager was able to get the debts partly paid off, what did the master commend the dishonest manager? He commended him for his shrewdness, for being able to deal with people that he knew so that when he finally does get fired, he would be received into their houses. And of course, they're going to receive him into the 
house to have a meal, maybe even to have a room, because he really has reduced their debts. What is this saying about the sons of light? Remember, the commandments can be summarized in two ways. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second summary is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is saying is that the sons of light, and Jesus, of course, is the light of the world, that therefore they do not have at times a proper attitude toward their neighbors in such a way that the neighbors will be friends with the sons of light so that when their unrighteous wealth, well, when it peters away, they will not fail to receive you into eternal dwellings that they too will hear from you, the sons of light, the wonderful good news that not only a partial debt has been paid, but the full debt. What debt? It's not at all unusual that the word sin can be translated by trespasses. That means you're going into an area you're not supposed to go into. Or debts. What do you owe anybody? Well, when you sin, remember what God told Adam and Eve, in the day that you sin, you shall surely die. You owe God eternal death. But he does not take that from you when you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That that faith trumps your debts. In other words, the death of Christ on the cross paid for your debts totally. So Jesus is simply telling the story about how the sons of Satan are sometimes more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than do the sons of light. Now, the sons of light can definitely become friends with the sons of darkness in the sense that they help them in their needs. And the greatest need they have is their fear of dying and not being saved. And they can be told about the greatest friend that the sons of light have, and that is Jesus the Christ, who pays for the whole hundred measures of oil, as well as the hundred measures of wheat. There's nothing that a person owes. Verse 10 of Luke 16 continues. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also 
dishonest in much. Uh, for example, with some millennial people, I'm talking about young people, they get involved with a crowded school, maybe smoking an illegal drug. So they smoke it, and that's all they do at first, but they get high. And they like getting high. It helps relieve them of their problems, and they think things are a lot better. But then being dishonest in beginning to smoke, they learn from their friends that if they would sell these drugs, they could become very rich. You can pay around 300 for certain drugs coming out of Mexico, but when you sell them on the street, you can make yourself a few thousand dollars. And this is what Jesus means, that those who are dishonest in a very little become dishonest in much. It's a way that Satan tempts them, saying, well, you got away with the very little Look how much more to you will become if you're dishonest in more. Uh, that's why it's not at all unusual when a robber robs a bank and is successful at it that he continues to do that because he's making himself a lot of money at no cost from his point of view. But the opposite is also true. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. So when parents have a newborn child, they are faithful in making sure that it is clothed, has a nice warm bed, is also dressed properly. But as that child grows older, the parents who are Christian becomes faithful in much more. Sometimes they will do what's called punishment in order to child what is right that they need to follow. And, and that's really important. So following what God wants us to do in a very little, can make us faithful in much. So, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, in other words, if you take a look at your money and your possessions, and you will not be faithful in how you deal with that, who will entrust to you the true riches? When someone sees you cheating or lying to make yourself more money, are they going to be interested in what you have to say about salvation? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? In other words, that's where this tremendous statement comes no servant can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, what that means is if money becomes a very important thing to you and you get frustrated when you don't make as much, then that shows you are not really trusting God, who says he will take care of you as well as he takes care of the birds in the air. They don't plow. They don't scatter seed. They don't harvest. But they often receive food from God, who has prepared that for even birds. So then Jesus hits the nail on the head in verse 14 of chapter Luke 16. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now, on Wednesdays, we've been going through Proverbs, and and there it makes it very clear that a lot of times a person may do a good work, but he has evil motivation. And that evil motivation could consist that he wants to look better in the eyes of others. He is not interested so much in what God is thinking, but he's interested in making sure he has sufficient possessions, etc. Jesus tells that story about the man who has so many crops that he needs to, in his mind, tear down those buildings that are holding the crops, make bigger buildings so that in his last days he will eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, you fool, because that night you may be called to account and you will lose all that you have by an earthly death and there will be nobody greeting you in heaven because you will not be going to heaven. This is really what this Luke 16 is about. To be more shrewd as a son of light means to follow God's will in taking care of the neighbor. Now that was not what Amos is writing about in the Old Testament reading, verses 4 to 7. He's talking about people like the Pharisees who were lovers of money and gives specifics. Hear this, you who trample on the needy 
and bring the poor of the land to an end. In other words, the poor are not at all successful because they are being trampled on by the rich. Even though they are needy, they are not being helped out. We, we know this is true in certain countries of the world, even today, where children who are very, very young are forced to work 8 to 10 hours a day in making the rich richer. They don't get paid what they should be getting paid. They're not being taken care of. In other words, the rich are not treating them equal as neighbors. The rich will say in verse 5, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? You see, in certain times of the year, uh, like the Sabbath, you were not allowed to work. And they could not sell their wheat for sale. They had to wait till the next day. And so they were not happy with the Sabbath or when the new moon was there because of the rules that they were not to be able to work and sell grain. And they would say, how are we going to be able to do what we want to make the ephah small and the shekel great? In other words, how could they increase the worth of the coins that they received? Well, they did that by means of false balances that they would change the scales in such a way that when the product was put on the scale, it appeared to weigh less than it really was. So the farmer didn't get his full pay. And, and that way, the shekels of the rich were made greater. As it says, as we deal deceitfully with false balances. Verse 6, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and even sell the chaff of the wheat. Now that part of the wheat was not worth hardly anything, and yet they would sell it and make money. It would be like me going to buy my sweet corn, and all they sold me was the stock upon which the corn had taken place. But I got no corn, just a bunch of stocks. So what does God say to these people? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Now, Jesus is talking about an unrepentant person who trampled down on the needy 
who hate the Sabbath because they can't make money on it, who buy the poor for a little bit of silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell parts of their plants that aren't worth anything so they can still get money for it. So you can update that into today's society and see how people also trample down on the needy. Jesus did not trample down on the needy. You were one of the needy, born into the sins of this world, and were unable to pay for your sins. Couldn't even pay a portion of them. And yet, through hearing the word of God, through being baptized with the sacrament, you receive the promises of God that he will forget your sinful deeds. That's found in Jeremiah. It's found in the book of Hebrews. It's part of the new covenant, the new testament, which God gave to the disciples on the night in which the Holy Supper was inaugurated. And what was that New Testament? I will forget your sins and forgive your iniquities. I will not hold you accountable for your sinful deeds because I have hold, held my son accountable for them on the accursed cross. So, interesting readings for this coming 15th Sunday after Pentecost. And we pray that you'll hear a sermon on the basis of these or 1 Timothy 2, which is very, very helpful in the sermon. Until the next day, tomorrow, when we take a look at the hymn, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.